0: Hi, welcome to another edition of Interviews with the Masters. Uh, This week, like every week, we have a real special guest. I have, I like to call him the professional's professional. Good friend of mine, Dwayne Adams. How you doing, Dwayne? Yeah, I'm doing fine. How are you, John? I'm good, I'm good. Um, Actually, just recently came back from hunting with Dwayne. Uh, Him and I chased some uh, coos deer and some mule deer down south in Arizona. That's something I like to do each year with Dwayne um and that's why i call him the professionals professional um you know he's uh he's the guy to go to when you want to find something in arizona for sure by <laughs> by any means but um anyway dwayne and i got you i got you cornered on, on our show this week um let's get started so uh, t- tell us a little bit about you and your in your organization and what you do
1: well i've been guiding for about 30 years uh uh it's been a great business uh, we we're, we're killing some tremendous animals and we do 99% of our hunting John with binoculars and that's that's hard for a lot of people to understand until they come and glass with us and after about 30 minutes they realize that you know we have a tremendous art on teaching people how to find animals yeah and then
0: and actually that's going to be our uh, our topic today um you know, in, in part is is glassing um um, what got you started in hunting
1: well that's a good question i just i think it's born into me my mom and dad didn't hunt and none of my relatives did and uh, as a kid i just just loved it and, and just took it from there and and went to the next level and just tried to get as much education and learn as much as i could so uh, i ended up being a guide and cuz i just couldn't get enough of it
0: uh when did you decide that you know that's what
1: you were going to do for, for a business and, you know, for your life your life's work? I started when I started thinking about that when I was about 18 years old. I, I started realizing that that's what I wanted to do for a living. So I've been doing it ever since, and I'm 55 years old now.
0: How long did it take you to kind of get to the level that you're at now from, from the time you started when you were 18?
1: Well, it took me till about 25 years old uh it, then I realized you know that by the time I'd taken all my friends and killed a lot of the deer with them, you know then I realized that I could take people and, and and get out there and get serious about finding animals when nobody else could find them so that's that's how I did it and we have a lot of
0: listeners that are are really really frustrated and and you kind of find that with uh with a lot of hunters in arizona it's a it's a very hunter frustrated state um because it's, it's tough hunting out here. Well, you know, what would you say what would you say to them you know, words of wisdom would, or what words of encouragement would you
1: say to help them keep at it? <laughs> well, I think that the, the the most important thing that most people are under binoculars. Uh most people try to take their their football binoculars to a football game out in in glass for animals. That's what I found. And is it? It takes a, a really high quality pair of binoculars on a tripod to find animals. And most people try to find them like they do everywhere in America by hand, holding them, hand holding them in their hands. John, and by that time, it, you're in deep trouble. You're you're not you're not going to find these animals. And what you've seen by glassing with me, a lot of times I'll find animals, and, and it takes me fifteen twenty minutes to show somebody an animal because they can't even find it after I show it to them. So. And, and that's really critical. Uh, is first you got to get good binoculars, and then you start got to do anything else. It's like going to a, it, 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 i'll tell you how I put it, John. It's like going to a race and, and going with a Volkswagen racing a, racing somebody that has a high revved up car. If you don't have the equipment, you can't you can't be in the race.
0: Absolutely, uh, I found that early on in my in my career. I, I remember starting off with you know eight by forty twos handheld and. Just uh, having a heck of a time trying to find uh, deer out here in Arizona, um, and, and now I use what you use, the 15 by 56 Wargski, and I use them on a tripod. And and uh, you know I went from uh, not being able to find animals to uh, you know being pretty pretty darn good at it. Um, well, let's uh, I got some questions. A lot of our questions come from we have an Ask the Pros section on the Honey Channel online. And uh people submit questions all the time, so we uh we come up with these questions, we put them together, and we find the person in the industry that is best suited to answer them and um since this is your your cup of tea, uh we get a lot of questions about glassing and glassing for coos deer and mule deer so um as my start Our first question we got was um what can I do as a novice hunter?" to eliminate errors while I'm glassing? Give me three or four
1: rules to live by. Well, there's there's several things to do. One thing is, is that most people don't know which way to look. And what I mean by that is you always want to start looking at the southeast sides of a ridge in the morning and the northwest side in the evening. And what that means, John, is that most people are looking the wrong direction. Uh, I give glassing lessons, and that's the first thing that I teach is that most people look the wrong direction. So you can be a great glasser, but if you're not looking where the deer are, you're never going to find them, and and it's that simple. Uh, A lot of times I'm glassing, and I can see a guy on a ridge, and within five minutes I can tell you if he knows what he's doing just by watching what he's doing because if he's looking at the open hill slides in the middle of the day, those deer are not there. They're not going to be out on those open hillsides. They're going to be on the northwest sides of the ridges, laying down because you know they can survive between 20 and 30 below zero. So why would they want to lay out in the open hillside uh, w- with a a down jacket on and, and be hot? So they're going to be always on the northwest side. And you've yeah. seen that with me. I I always position myself where I'm looking where the deer are going to be. So automatically. I'm a hundred percent ahead of everybody else because even if there's no deer there, I'm looking where the deer are going to be, and if I do that, then the next level is just finding them.
0: Yep. Well, uh, that's definitely a good a good rule of thumb. What other you know? What other rules of thumb would you would you give a novice yeah. hunter? You know. Uh, Maybe landscape features or something like that to look at,
1: or sure, and, that, and that's, a, that's that's always a good thing. You always want to get as much height as you can get and look down on on top of animals, uh, because it, the lower you get, the less that you can see. That, that's a real real good tip. Is always get as much height as you can. But I'll tell you a tip, John. As you've seen with me, is that people underestimate deer by the highway. A lot of the places that I'm hunting is right off of highways, main roads all over the state. And the reason being is that they don't think that those deer are there. And what I have found is if you can get an advantage and look at some of these places that I'm looking, and you've been with me for a couple of years and seen, I mean, a lot of these places, they're right underneath people's noses, and they drive right by them. So the glasses, I have, I have a theory, and I teach this, glasses, binoculars don't lie. And what I mean by that, either the animals are there or they're not there. But if they're there, and you're up high enough and you can see them, you stand a chance to kill a great deer, and the other people just drive by it. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: uh, there's a quick little side note over here that uh, we uh, just—I just went hunting with uh, Dwayne, like I said, um, a couple weeks ago, and um, I missed the probably the biggest mule deer of my uh, of my career. Put a beautiful stalk on him, and I missed him. But uh, anyway, the point is, this uh, two hundred inch buck probably was
1: uh, was what maybe one hundred fifty yards away from the highway. Yeah, that's correct. And and and, <laughs> and you hunted with me there a couple times, and and that's exactly right. The buck that he's talking about had two big kickers on each side, great long tines, and we walked right through this area. My son and I had found this buck about four or five days before John had came. And then we couldn't find him again. We looked for him several times. And then, fortunately, thank God, we went in there and set up and did the right things and bang, found him. And found another buck as well. John put another stock on another buck, but right. uh, it got away. We had too many does, but this buck was perfect and John got a great shot. But, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I tell John this, I tell people this, it's better to have missed a great big deer than to have never seen one. And and, and and that's the truth. I mean he did a great stock come in on this thing. It Thank took you. about forty five minutes to get in on, on this deer and I mean what 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 a monster. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was a big deer. Oh. Uh, hey, I'll probably
0: have nightmares about that one for a little while.
1: That's okay. That's why they call it honey. <laughs> All
0: right. Well my next question I have here is uh can you describe to me in great deal what your ideal setup is? Um and that's kind of a general question. Um you know, you could touch on, you know, your equipment, and, and I know I mentioned it a little bit now, um, and and you touched on it a little bit as far as, uh, you know, getting up high and such. But um, if you can get a little bit more in-depth as to when you're picking a glassing spot
1: and, and what you're doing to set up. I, I think your most ideal pieces of glassing is you, you're usually walking into these places. Uh, very few places that you can drive to and get out of the truck and then and look. There's, there's there's only a handful of those places. Most of the places that are ideal, you've got to walk and then get up high to glass. It's very important that you get a good, solid tripod. I mean, I, I can't stress that enough to to sit down and glass with, and then, then you can glass at great distances. On this last occasion, John was hunting with me. The first occasion that he came come to hunt with me, he couldn't glass anything and I'm just telling you the truth. And it wasn't because of his ability, it was because he didn't know how. This last time that he came to hunt with me, he was a hundred percent better glasser. He was as good as anybody that I'd had that in that short amount of time he was finding a deer all the time. Dwayne I got one, Dwayne I got one. Well, the reason that that John did that is because he seen how I did it, copied it, and then followed suit and started doing everything that I'm doing. And then, I mean, you were just finding as many deer as I was, John. And the reason being is now you just use the same pattern of of glassing skills that I taught you in in the four or five days that you hunted with me. So it's not rocket scientists. Once you learn how to do this thing, it works anywhere. It works on elk, it works on desert sheep, it works on mule deer, coos deer, I and mean, when we hunt the Kaibab, we hunt big bulls, desert sheep, all this stuff. We use the same system of glassing, get up high, use high quality binoculars, and glass great distances okay. um and it couldn't be more
0: more true you know a few years ago when I came to hunt with dwayne the first time um you know, I, I've had some success glassing and such, um, but not like I do now. I, I did learn a qu- great deal from Dwayne, and uh, he's uh, he's certainly upped my game to uh, a, a new level now. And uh, I, I believe Dwayne actually has a, a DVD out there um, on how to glass. And um, you know, at the end of the show here, we'll give you some information and how to get a hold of that. Um, Going back to our list of questions here, what key signs do you look for when you're finding a spot to glass you know are you uh, are you looking for certain terrain types? are you looking for yeah, that, certain vegetation
1: you bet john It depends on the animal that you're hunting. You have to have food, 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 and then water. Those are critical, critical things. If you have those things then 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 the next situation is you have to find a high spot to look in those things. For example, if, in, in those big mule deer that you and I are chasing, 99% of those deer were in cholla, real thick cholla flats. So and once you see those cholla flats, and I, I, I showed you that they're eating those little bulbs off, of the, off that cholla flat, well, then you have the food source. And once you have a water source, then the next thing is is get up high in glass. Now, that's one thing for desert mule deer. Coos deer is just the opposite. I, I look for a lot of different things there. I look for cholla, but I also make sure I'm looking for barrel cactus pops because they love to eat those barrel cactus pops. So if I see a heel that has a lot of barrel cactus uh, scattered out over it, well, then I start glassing because that that's very important to their food structure. During January, that's when that food comes off in January. So you want to start hunting those heels that have a lot of barrel cactus pops so that so that you can see that the, that the deer are eating them there. Well,
0: um, I mean, I, I'm glad that you mentioned January because uh, hunting, you know, December January is a whole different ball of wax. But most of us aren't aren't fortunate enough to get out and um, you know all our rifle tags, especially here in Arizona and I believe New Mexico is the same. Um, they're all October November. Um, what do you do different in those? You know, during that time of year, as opposed, you know, as opposed to the January December hunts, where you know they're in the rut in the in December, and the December, but you know, most of January. Um, what what things are you doing looking different?
1: Well, the thing that you really got to do then is that's when your skill level really has to ratchet up. You've got about thirty five or forty minutes before the deer go to lay down and in, in that earlier season because it's too hot. And generally, those bucks are battered up then. They're not, they're not chasing does. So if you find a buck or a group of bucks, we have found that you can pattern those deer. So pre-scouting is probably as important as you can do at any one time during that time. So if you find a batched group of bucks and they're moving from their food to their bed, they're probably going to do that every day until they they get shot out of there. And we have found that. So what I try to do is find several groups like that. And so in case one gets shot up, I know where another group is and another group, so that I'm not out there just wandering around trying to figure it. So we'll have five or six or seven groups that we know where bachelor groups are that we have a chance to kill like that. So that's really important is to pre-scouting. And then once the season starts and the pressure starts, then you have to know, what we call push zones, where these deer are going to get pushed to, and so then we hone in on what we call push zones where deer are being pushed to from hunters, and then we stay in those areas and start hunting. What, um, you know, where do you know where would one begin his scouting?
0: You know, um, basically, I, I think the question is kind of what, what specifically should I be looking at? Uh, either scouting or or during the hunting uh, season to find where those bachelor groups are during those times?
1: Well, the best thing, the best way that I've scouted in my earlier days is going out and I look for sheds. And once I found that the deer has shed and found some big horns uh, uh, that were shed there, then I know that that buck made it through the hunting season and he was in that area. So uh, finding sheds is one way to do it and I'll tell you another way to do it, it that that, uh, that most people overlook is to go to a taxidermist shop become friends with those folks in there and generally you get a tremendous amount of information out of a taxidermist shop because people start bringing in their heads there and it gives you a chance to do some talking and make friends with somebody there back and forth, the taxidermist. Always remember something that I found out early in my career is that tax taxidermists give a lot of information because they make money off amounts, so they really don't care about telling people where to go because they want people to kill animals. So go to a service shop, make friends with those folks there, and you can learn a lot just to, by standing around a service shop on where to go and where some of these big bucks are being killed. That's a great little tip. <laughs> That's a great little tip.
0: Um, hmm. Well, this this question we kind of touched on it a little bit on some of the other stuff we were talking about. One of the other questions I got here um, is when you're glassing, do you have an, a specific
1: system or
0: do you just look randomly? About, I mean, do you have a specific system? Do you know? Do
1: you start from left to right, top to bottom, or
0: do you, you move on a grid?
1: Yeah, I grid it, uh, and that's that's very important, and, and, and I teach that on, in glassing lessons is the grid. What I call it, shotgun glassing is what most people use, is they'll look here and they turn and look there, and then they look here and then they look back. They look in what I call shotgun glassing, and that's very poor, and, and it, it doesn't do the justice of how to find animals. You want to start at the top of the ridge, and you want to move your binoculars left to right, and then you drop them down like a Z, then move them right back, to, and then you just keep doing that until you've glassed that whole section in front of you. And then just move a little bit and do the same thing to the next heel. So what I'm telling you is that you glass the whole heel, not just holes in the heel. And then you right. keep doing that. And then go back and look at that in another 15 or 20 minutes, the places that you look, because... There can be little deep canyons, They can be behind trees, and generally a deer will be out at, by that time. If you've done that three or four times and haven't seen a deer, it's time to move. That, right. that goes back to that scenario that I'm talking about, binoculars don't lie. I mean, the deer are either there or they're not. If they're not there, then you've got to move. And once you become a very successful glasser, you'll understand it's time to move to the next knob, the next knob, until you find the animals that you're looking for.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and just a quick note, I, I, you know, I, uh, I like to refer to that technique that Dwayne was just talking about as like the typewriter technique, you know, just think of it as a typewriter, you know, start from left to right, go all the way across and then move down one, you know, one level, and move back from right to left and back and forth. Um, it makes a tremendous difference. Uh, you'll be able to cover more ground and with more detail, um, uh, very quickly and
1: uh and you'll have more success um and that's just that simple that's really a good illustration because that that that's exactly right
0: do you have uh specific landscape uh, landscape characteristics or terrain that you favor when you're glassing you know like you said or just now you know after you've done your initial scan uh you know gritting it out do you have specific stuff that you like to look pay more attention to
1: no not really uh- it, it, reason I say that big bucks have a tendency to do what big bucks do, and I'll, they're they're like people. I found that to be more than than, than not They all have a little bit of a niche that, that and what they they do to survive is very important why why I'm saying that is that is that some bucks live by highways some bucks don't live way out by 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 themselves. So whatever little niche that they have found to live in, then that's how they give a chance to grow up like the bucks that you chase with me. All right. The key is, is most people overlook a lot of those places. So that's why the glassing enables you to get up, get to different places, and just keep glassing, keep glassing, and keep glassing until you find a little hole that one's living in. And he's probably lived there his whole life, and most people have overlooked it. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. All right. I have
0: one more question from our Ask the Pros. Um, now, I know the answer to this question because I've hunted with you many times. Um, but for our listeners, what are some techniques you use to stalk uh, coos deer and how, and how do you plan to stalk? You know, what do you try to do to intercept them or, or how do you try to get on them?
1: Well, that's tough. the toughest animal to stalk in the world, John, is a coos deer by far. and And that's...
0: Written by probably I know
1: every writer in America that's ever ever hunted. It took the white shoe three years when he hunted with me before he ever got a shot. And we're talking one of the world class stalkers there is. The key that I found to, to, to stalking a Koos deer is that you really want that darn thing to come to you. That's easier said than done. But if you can get in front of that deer and have him walk by you, you have a tremendous chance. Okay. That being said, if that doesn't happen, the next thing you need to do is have him bed down. And if you get him to bed down, then you, like you did the first time you come to stock with me, when that buck had that doe, it took you a tremendous amount of time to get into the the, the time that you got there. Well, he's an hour not and a half. gonna <laughs> an hour and a half, and he's not gonna go nowhere. Then so then you know that the deer's gonna stay there. So then you have a chance to move in, but you have no chance if this deer's on the move and he's by himself. What you've seen with me the other day, I glassed a great big deer, my son and I did, and John moved in on it. A truck drove by this road, and that deer went into a clump of stuff, and it was over. There was no way to kill that deer. And he was probably less than 75 yards from John when this went over, but it was too late. It was done. So the key is is a lot of guys will move in there and think they're going to get a shot. The best thing to do is just back out and leave him alone because you can come back in another day and he's going to be in that area again. And so that's probably one of the most important things. But most people rush stalking deer. That's that's their biggest problem is they think the deer are going to get away and they take too big of steps and they make too much noise. And I have come to the notice that it takes about ten stalks. On coos deer for every shot that you get out of a really good coos deer hunter. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> sounds about right. Uh,
0: I, I've I've shot two, and I probably shot probably twenty times.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and shot at a great big buck with me. Yes, I did. I did. Uh,
0: unfortunately, made a bad shot, and we never could catch back up with him. But. uh yeah, those are fun. Uh, another deer that I have nightmares about. <laughs> pope, nice 115 inch, Pope and Young Coon deer, you know. But uh, I'm sure I'll get it done with uh, Dwayne next time we go out. I've definitely had many, many experiences with them. Um, I got my uh, my mutts over here in the background yelling, uh, barking well, over here. <laughs> we all love dogs. Um. Well,. I, uh, I appreciate all your uh, your good information here. I want to get a couple of things uh, answered so our listeners can uh, find out more about you. Where, where can our listeners find out more about you?
1: Well, uh, they can get on my webpage. It's ArizonaBigGameHunting.com. Mm-hmm. And if they'd like to call me, they, my phone number is 520-385-4995. And, and I'd be glad to uh, talk and answer any questions I could help them with. How's that? How's that for accessible? You don't get very many professionals that are willing to give you out their phone
0: number. Um, you have some books and you have some DVDs, which I've uh, I've read I've read both your books and I've uh, I've watched uh, two of your DVDs.
1: Um, tell
0: us tell us a little bit about the stuff, the products you got out, the books and DVDs. And-
1: yeah, I have a coos deer book out on uh, how to hunt coos deer in in Arizona, and I've got a mule deer book out on how to hunt big mule deer in the Kaibab. Then I've got an elk DVD out on how to kill big bulls and a glassing DVD which sells very well uh, on teaching people all the basics of, of how to find deer. And then I've got a coos deer DVD out that, that uh, I think is very good on how to kill a coos deer with a bow because they're one of the toughest things that there is. But all that stuff is accessible off of my webpage or give me a call. I mean, I, I'd be glad to talk to, to, to help them out
0: yeah no actually we uh we sell all of uh dwayne's stuff right here on the haunting channel and uh one of our partners, how dot com sells them as well um, as we wrap things up here dwayne, what should our listeners be doing for the next thirty thirty days next ninety days or a year to become a more successful hunter a more
1: successful glasser well First thing is, if they can't afford a good pair of binoculars, they need to save up and get a pair. That's that's probably the, 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 the first step. Second thing is, is most people are not in shape. And yes. I find that to be more true than not. A lot of the guys that work for me, I've got a lot of great guides that work for me, and, and, uh, and, and the problem is we can find animals and then the poor guy can't go get them because they're out of shape. So it does nobody any good. So you have to stay in shape year-round. If you're gonna get serious about this thing that that's probably one of the most important things but uh you know th- there are not many things that you can do during the off season except try to stay in shape and build your glassing skills
0: that's a that's a very uh very good tip. I've been stressing that to people all over the place uh, when, you know I'm always saying you know hunters wear athletes i mean i, I I know guys that, uh, you know, I play ball with and stuff like that, and if I take them hunting, they can't get up the side of the hill, you know. Um, it takes a certain amount of cardiovascular and takes definitely takes some good leg strength and stability is a big thing. Um, you know, people, it's very easy to lose your footing and stuff like that. So if you're not training those muscles to, you know, walk on rough terrain, rocks and boulders and sandy hillsides and whatnot, it's, uh, it could be... Uh, it could be for an unpleasant experience when it should be fun, you know? So, But um, thanks again, Dwayne. You know, I appreciate it. Um, I'm sure uh, you and I will speak soon. And um, we'd like to have you back on the show over here in, in a couple months when we're getting ready for elk season. We'll give you a call and we'll talk a little bit about elk hunting.
1: You bet, John. I'd be glad to do it. And uh, God bless you and your family, and, and God bless America.
0: Absolutely. Thank you very much and uh, talk to you soon.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.